Welcome, Clover Heavens Tribe, to the All-Star Season. We're here with our first All-Star, Stefana Sapko, a Romanian living in the Netherlands. Stefana, it's nice to see you after over a year since our last interview. How are you doing? Nice seeing you too, uh, Gopi. Thank you for uh, putting me on the All-Stars list. Uh, I felt very humbled by that. Thank yeah, you. you definitely deserve it. I'm very happy to be here. Can't wait to dive into new topics. But you were telling me before we started, Stefana, and even when we were chit-chatting to make this appointment, that now you're doing much better mental health-wise, but we've mentioned a few times there's this triple threat going on right now, this pandemic, crazy amount of inflation. And then now we have a war in our backyard over in Ukraine, which for us in Germany and the Netherlands is a little bit further away, but it is actually closer to your family in Romania. So how has that affected you? Even before started, uh, we could uh, feel the tension everywhere in Romania. My friends and I were discussing it daily. My family was even more tense because my uh, father has relatives in Ukraine. His father was Ukrainian. My name is Ukrainian, Sopko. When it started, it, it hit home almost literally because uh, our friends and family from the city very close to the border, like you can just walk. They could uh, hear the sirens. And uh, the bomb that hit the um, airport. The day it actually started, I was visiting a client and it was painful because throughout the entire day, I was talking to my parents, I was talking to my friends, I was checking the news constantly to see what's happening. And uh, while I was doing that, I had to keep up uh, a nice uh, figure, a smile on my face, take notes all the time, take pictures. So it was very demanding and challenging. Of course, it's quite difficult to speak uh, about it because you never know if people in the room are going to be empathetic or not. But the moment the day uh, was over at the client and I was by myself uh, at the train station, I just burst into tears and cried. And by the time I arrived home, I was exhausted. And the next few days, of course, they were all the same. Uh, My parents were trying to help some uh, relatives from Ukraine. Many of my friends uh, and my acquaintances in Romania uh, went to the borders to help out. It's still crazy. It's not over, even though, uh, like with any other thing, the media stopped covering, but it's not over. People are still dying. Uh, Atrocities are still happening. In Romania, you can actually see soldiers on the street and the tanks and their exercises every day. Uh, My city is 50 kilometers uh, away from the border. So it's like (laughs) you do it in an hour, maybe by car, even less. So um, on top of everything, this situation has definitely added to 
work anxiety, not only in my case, but in the case of many others. It helps to have an, an empathetic support system, but not everyone has that. And I know you had a situation before this job with SmartFlow where you were in a very toxic work environment. So could you first explain to us what constitutes of toxic work environment and how did you get out of it? From my view, how I look at it, it's strictly a personal uh, experience. I think a toxic work environment is where people want to claim power so badly that they step on other people's heads. You do everything in your power to uh, be there on top, regardless of who you hurt and how you uh, hurt them. This kind of behavior is encouraged by leaders that are not mindful of uh, how they uh, create a culture and what type of culture they want to create. In many cases, employees are allowed to spread their toxicity either because they are uh, favorites or uh, there's nepotism or there's some kind of relationship between uh, them and uh, the managers. It depends. Or uh, they can simply be put uh, there because, I don't know, they are maybe very good at what they're doing. And uh, to answer the other question, how I got out, I was actually kicked out. It was right at the beginning of the pandemic. I was laid off together with many others from the company. Funny enough, I think one month before I was promised that thing will never happen. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a call. I got a call to be told after almost two years that unfortunately we cannot go on. But it came as a relief, to be honest. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had the courage to um, leave. As an expert, when I moved in the Netherlands, I struggled a little bit with finding a steady job at the beginning. So issue after issue that uh, caused anxiety a lot of anxiety of uh, not being a jobless expat again. I stayed in that workplace uh, even though it harmed me mentally and physically quite badly. Because mentally I was very drained, my body started to give me signs of sickness until I really developed a digestive issue. I learned how to put boundaries. I learned what I deserve. And what I don't deserve, I can promise you, Gabby, I will never allow that situation to repeat. And I will never encourage anyone to stay in an environment that harmed them, even though there's no assurance of tomorrow. Even though you have no idea what you will eat tomorrow, in a very extreme example, I would still encourage anyone to get out of there. It's not worth it at all. To get sick, to be crying every day, to be stressed, to not be heard, to not be seen at all, to not be able to show yourself, to be told that you're not good enough repeatedly, 
it's not worth it ever. With the knowledge and with the wisdom I have now, I will speak as loud as possible and repeat this as much as possible. Do not stay in toxic work environments. Leave them immediately. Yes, it, we're at the point where nine to five as it was, it's not going to work, but not everything can be fully remote or fully asynchronous. I know with my husband's work, he works with a cleaning firm and he works sometimes five days a week, sometimes four between customers. He can take a break or do what he needs to do. I think if more knowledge worker jobs take that approach of, okay, this is the set amount of time you need to work in, do what you need to do. I'm not tracking how much time you're in the chair, how much time you're in the office. I think if more companies take that approach, then we will be better off. Yeah. Um, I actually mentioned this in uh, that uh, podcast. I uh, was interviewed in Romania, in my home country. We have to stop measuring uh, work in how many hours we have put in our system. Because if we continue to do that, and if we continue to measure uh, employees' results based on hours, then we are definitely not growing cultures of growth and learning and resilience and consistency. But I think many of us, even more in the creative space, if I sit around all day in front of the computer, my brain will literally melt. So I need to get up, I need to go pet my pets, play a little bit around with them, take a walk, seeing outside of the box, right? Because the desk, the eight hours are a box. Offering this space, safe space in which uh, you do your own thing and then measuring results and not hours, we will see growth. Exactly. And... When it comes to any type of work, the human brain is the best computer and algorithm ever created. So sometimes our brains feel like they're going to melt because we're dealing with computers that are not as intuitive as our brains. Did you mean blah, blah, blah? No. <laughs> <laughs> I miss my cat. That is one thing that I do miss. It's hard to find an apartment here in Germany that allows a bigger animal with four legs, like a dog or a cat. <laughs> you can get a hamster or something, but it, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about that. I think in my case, pets have been uh, definitely, I don't know if safe net, but they did help my mental health tremendously even after I was laid off the fact that I had them and they're so empathetic and they could sense something uh, is not right I also had my blog which was a very creative hub for me it helped me with my copywriting with my storytelling it helped me get out of my shell again because I've been put in a very tight shell where I was told I'm not a good writer or uh, I'm not meant to write for business, etc., etc. But having that 
it helped me reconnect with the writer in me. It helped me reconnect with the storyteller in me. And it gave me courage to pursue what my real passion and what my real calling is, writing, content writing, copywriting, storytelling. And if it weren't for these two four-leggies pets to inspire me and to show me uh, unconditional love, maybe I wouldn't have healed so uh, fast and so easily like I did. Of course, my current company helped a lot because they were very careful and they were very patient with my healing process. They spotted all the signs and they acknowledged it. I was also quite open in telling them, look, I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety because this happened. This too helped a lot in my uh, healing. As human beings, when we are being laid off, we have this feeling of failure. Like we did something wrong. We are not good enough. I knew I didn't do anything wrong. I was even laid off in a maybe nice way. Let's put it like, like that. Because I was offered a nice settlement. I had the permanent contract. So they couldn't even lay me off. But they did. And I accepted because I just wanted to get out of there. But. I think we don't talk enough about this anxiety after a situation like this happens. And the pandemic has showed us that you can be laid off even if you're the best in your team. And we should stop putting stamps on people that if they've been laid off, something is wrong with them or they're not good enough, etc. Because that's not the case. And we are so easily made to believe something is wrong because we haven't talked enough about this. We choose to talk only about the good stuff, about the nice stuff, about the great success. But we should talk about this as well. Being laid off is not a failure. It's not, of course, describing you as a professional or as a person. Package it as it is. It is a traumatic, traumatic event. It can leave you with lots of insecurities and fears and troubles. To me, for example, it was quite difficult in the beginning to uh, perceive feedback. Uh, I was afraid of feedback, mostly because I thought the feedback will say I suck, <laughs> but it didn't say that. But still, it was stressful. If anyone from LinkedIn, because you mentioned we listen to lots of gurus and lots of influencers, but I would really want these influencers to talk about these things in a more humane, humane way. Not, I was laid off and then I made $1 million. That's what? No, I was laid off and I dealt with many months of anxiety afterwards. And I still wake up sometimes and... If I make a mistake or something, my first thought is, oh my God, what will happen? <laughs> and I'm not the only one. There are many, many, and I know for sure because I talk to them every day and they tell me some of them are afraid that they will be fired because they had a typo in the newsletter or in their email and 
that's the result of toxic leaders and toxic managers that have no idea how to manage people. The great resignation, I'm coming back to that, is the result of situations like what happened to me and what happened to millions of other people. And if this new generation or if this new current generation of employers and companies did not acknowledge this, it will happen again or it will never end. Yeah, especially I think you and I are both millennials, but Gen Z is not going to put up with that mess. Nope, never. <laughs> so you need never. to get with the program, people. Never. Actually, I've just watched a podcast interview this morning uh, with a 17 years old girl who uh, is also doing her own side uh, gigs and things like that. She was talking about the future of uh, business and the way she wants to work and the way her colleagues want to work and completely different than uh, the way we dealt with things. They will not uh, put up with anyone's uh, crap, that's for sure. I hope that these last two years, three years, teach us that in the end we're still humans and we are working with humans. I see that more and more people are louder and louder about their experience in toxic work environments. I see expats talking about the things they struggle with and they are not hiding it under the uh, rug anymore because life as an expert is not easy. It comes with many challenges. There are many biases. I am Eastern European. I encounter biases every day. I developed a very weird fear of the question, where are you from? Because whenever I am... Uh, ask where am I from? I say Romania and then there's this awkward silence. Okay, where is Romania? What is Romania? Is she gypsy? Will she steal something from me? Even in Germany, even in Belgium, even in Spain actually, we were asked once if Romania is in Europe. <laughs> As Europeans, even though we want to think uh, we are nice people. Many of uh, I've encountered many Europeans who thought they are better than Americans. So this weird ping pong game is starting. Whenever American expats come here, uh, now we are seeing the same uh, very dangerous situation with Russians. I've seen uh, posts from uh, Russian professionals on LinkedIn that they have been ghosted by companies the moment the war started, which I think it's horrible. That's the most inhumane thing that we can do. It's absolutely against any value that we stand for. If you ask me, this is a type of bullying just because uh, of the country they come from. It's dangerous and it will lead to even more staff shortage. Yeah, it's crazy how many biases expats encounter on a daily basis, not just at work, but trying to 
even buy something or rent an apartment. It's a lot of crazy stuff that's going on. So you mentioned even some Americans, they think Europe is just mostly Spain, France, Germany, yeah, Italy, and Scandinavia and the UK. That people don't really know that much about Eastern Europe, unfortunately. Let's talk a bit about Romania. There's not that much out there about it. It's an Eastern European country, Balkans. It was part of the USSR for a little bit, but it has a long history before that. So tell us a little bit about it. Communism can still be very much felt on the streets of Romania, the government, and uh, even in many people's mindset. That's why uh, growth happens very slowly or at all. Besides that, Romania is equipped with lots and lots of universities. Education in Romania is free. If you're really good at uh, studying and if your grades are uh, according to the requests of the university, you can uh, study for free. I studied for free university and master's because I kept my grades high. And that's a privilege. The government uh, basically paid my studies. And that's one of the good things in Romania. Anyone can go to university, even the stupidest person. We joke about that, but it's not like that, actually. It wasn't easy to keep my grades up. Besides that, Romania has an amazing IT landscape. Cluj, the city where I studied and worked, is uh, often called the Silicon Valley of uh, Eastern Europe because uh, the IT landscape is huge. There, are, I worked in an IT company as well. There are so many smart, amazing entrepreneurs in Romania. Nowadays, we have even more people that break barriers and speak freely about topics like we discussed today. And of course, the landscape, it's absolutely amazing because we have mountains, we have sea. It's a very beautiful country. Definitely things to do in every corner of the country. But uh, Romania is a poor country. I had to literally hustle in my life. I had to help my parents as well. It was not easy. And my parents also struggled their entire life. So these big differences maybe create this Western entitlement towards Eastern Europe, but that made me stronger as well. I grew up poor. I didn't know back then, but now as an adult, I know that some family members didn't eat so I can eat or they didn't buy clothes for them so they can buy clothes for me. And I grew up with the sense of money. I know how to take care of money. I know how to make money. I am not afraid of working. I'm not afraid of hustling. I am not afraid of going the extra mile because I know what poor means. I know what struggling means. I know what seeing your mother cry because they had to pawn their jewelry means. I think that's my uh, power next to the current generation of workers who 
of professionals who are still in the comfort zone here in uh, the western part of Europe. I'm quite open about this and I don't blame Dutch people at all. Of course, not all of them as in any other country, but many of them live in this bubble where everything is uh, assured, everything is okay. And it's not their fault. It's actually, I wished I had that. Who wouldn't, right? They had the luck to be born in a country that took care of them. Geography is destiny. That's what my partner says. I was born in a country that taught me that only by hard work I can eat. I paid my own courses in marketing, in SEO, in uh, storytelling, because no one would have given it to me for free. No companies were like, hey, let's invest in your growth because I see potential. <laughs> Absolutely no one. So I saw potential in myself and I hustled for it. As expats, we need to understand that just because we come from a poor country does not make us smaller than the others. Unfortunately, a lot of people in the Western world, quote unquote, have grown up with these first world problems. Oh no, this month we can't buy bio. We have to go and buy regular food or... Oh, we can't go to Spain for vacation. I guess we'll have to go to Italy instead. Either option is fine. It wasn't between yeah. nothing and something. It was like something good and something else good. Yeah, it's totally different, but it it helps to view all of the things you you dealt with successfully growing up as what sets you apart. Again, companies should not take advantage of this anywhere in the world. And just because you have employees who manage stress or who have dealt with a lot in their lives, you should not take advantage of them. On contrary, you have to take care of them. I'm lucky enough to say that I'm being taken care of. To me, the most important thing now after I've dealt with several toxic work environments and I've worked with different leaders, to me, the most important thing now is to be seen, to be noticed, to have a leader or leaders that sense when something is wrong, when I'm not comfortable, to know me good enough to see, okay, something is not right. Or simply to be reminded, like I am, hey, uh, take care of yourself, uh, make sure you take a break, things like that. These little things are signs that you care about the humans and not the employees, not the contracts. Because unfortunately, there are many companies who want their employees to work if possible from eight to eight without taking a break. They take advantage of people like me that, for example, struggled to find a job in the beginning and they're like, okay, now I got you a job. You have to kill yourself for me. And that's hard, both. Yeah, that's one way that the great resignation has also hit immigrants really hard is that Maybe some of the first generation or 
Native people have left, and then it's left on that person to do the job of three or four people for the same amount of pay, and they don't know their rights, so they just deal with it. And you're just like, you're killing yourself for this job. But they feel like they don't have any other options because they don't know what rights they have. So if you're in that situation and you're watching this, have that conversation in the interview. Okay, this is the amount of time that I'm willing to work. Walk away if that condition is not met. Absolutely. And to talk for yourself and stand up for yourself. If you are being asked to work over time and there's no prospect of being paid extra, then you should say no. You, you have to say no. And uh, a healthy manager will not even wait for you to say that. They will offer. Yeah, and you can tell that you have definitely put that into practice, Stefana, since our last interview last March 2021 feels like yesterday, but it was over a year ago. You have been doing a lot of personal growth, mental health, also being on more podcasts, writing. What did you do to grow more opportunities for yourself? Personal branding through LinkedIn mostly. When I discovered the power of LinkedIn, I realized that if I invest uh, enough time and knowledge and experience on LinkedIn, then I might not even have to apply to jobs anymore in my life because my personal branding will do the trick for me, uh, which happened in the last uh, year. I got many, many job invitations. I found it actually very funny because from struggling to find a job to be offered one almost weekly, but I was very humbled every time and I still am. And every time I just thank the universe for giving back to me what I put there. And it's also quite empowering to be able to refuse a job because you're in a good place now. It's also very motivating to see that the market wants you. I was quite active on LinkedIn. Uh, some days, of course, I wasn't because I also dealing with some health situations. So it's not always rainbows and uh, sunshine, but I tried to stay persistent, consistent on LinkedIn. I posted content. I engaged with other professionals content. I tried to share value even in the comments and the other podcasts I've been invited to, they were actually the result of me just posting an interesting comment on someone's post with arguments and uh, personal views attached to them. On Instagram as well, I've been quite uh, loud about uh, endometriosis. It's the disease that I'm dealing with. I've been loud about toxic uh, work environments as well, mental health, especially because I'm a very anxious person, but I see myself healing now more and more, maybe because I just took over my life and I say no more. I'm still dealing with panic attacks quite a lot, so uh, I'm working on that as well, but I think the day I decided not to care if I look bad or not in front of the people, that was the best day for my growth. 
because I was not afraid to hit post on a post on LinkedIn. I was not afraid to share an emotional, personal story on Instagram. But resilience and consistency were my keywords. Definitely it pays off. And probably it would have brought even more results if I had put extra effort. But again, I uh, decided meanwhile that I want some time for myself <laughs> as well. Yeah, you need to post, but also have a life. And that was something you said last time that really struck me, especially when you're starting. You said it might feel like posting for no one, but you're actually posting for a very big, important thing that is about to come. So if you have yeah. an online presence, it really helps. Yeah, exactly. And uh, now that you say it, I realize, yeah, <laughs> even more because I knew that at one point, if not people, then the algorithm will push me in front of the people. And that's what happened. I got very interesting experience out of that. And I will continue to be as active as possible. And of course, be mindful of mental health in parallel because Whenever I spot just some small signs of not being well enough or lack of sleep, migraines, etc., these for me are red flags and I try to be careful of that. My mind is my strongest asset, so I have to take care of it. Yeah, and even learning from examples of the past, there are two groups of famous people, the ones with no break and then they eventually burned out or had some type of mental breakdown or other physical problems or those that are able to continue into their older years. That's what happens when you go through extremes. You have to be in balance. You have to find an equilibrium. The only examples that comes to my mind is Emmy Whitehouse. She was a music genius. She could hit notes that no one ever could. She was a masterpiece. She was a poem, but she was an extreme. She wanted everything. She was never happy with her performance. She was never happy with her results. And that led to complete crash. And it's an example that unfortunately I lived it and many of us lived it because we asked everything from us and we never took the time to actually sit down, take care of us, invest in ourselves. Many of us uh, were taught since we were children that the only way we can succeed is if we kill ourselves for uh, whatever we are doing. You have to work harder. The only way you can please your employer is if you stay over time. The only way you can be seen at work is if you arrive first and leave last. It's unhealthy and uh, it happened to my generation, but it will not happen to generations that they are lucky enough to ha have us as examples. And people like me who find their voice and speak about things loud and without fear, they have uh, the luck to also have platforms like Netflix and Prime and HBO who encourage 
talk about this in their movies, TV series, etc. And they teach them this. Plus, uh, they have access to all the social platforms that are now uh, promoting more and more mental health, work-life balance. And we also have to learn from them. And the girl I was watching this morning in the podcast said that adults uh, look them as they uh, are uh, small and they know nothing. This generation is stupid, etc. But they are so smart. I mean, we are not that old. <laughs> we are close <laughs> to their generation. But sure. Yeah. <laughs> All generations need to adapt to the other generations. And I think I'm a big fan of generations Z because they do not accept less than they deserve. <laughs> yeah, I think every generation goes through that. They are starting to pass the 20 year point. People are like, you don't know anything. It's just they learned in a different way from what you did. We had phones in our lives when we grew up computers the generation before us they saw computers in maybe high school or college and then the generation before them had typewriters in high school and college and then the generation before that just had books at the library <laughs> so we we all have different ways of learning and you have to adapt to the way things are going. Nine to five is dying out. It's going to be more flexible work, gig work. Even some people with side hustles or side interests that they have while having a full-time job sometimes. That should be perfectly fine. That should be integrated in uh, every company's uh, culture and uh, recruiting system. Funny you mentioned that I have a friend and she's brilliant. She's a brilliant marketer and she's a brilliant biologist. And she was actually refused from companies because she didn't want to give up her side uh, gig. She has her own uh, marketing agency and she takes personal projects, which she likes. But she was also looking for a full-time job at that moment. But now she took her voice back and now she is refusing companies who tell her that. Yeah, I guess the reasoning is, oh, we don't want you to be distracted. But yeah, they don't yeah, realize when you have something else going on, sometimes you think of an idea that will help in the exactly. other situation. So Exactly. It <laughs> happens to me so many times. While I write the story for uh, a children's book, for example, my brain uh, starts to relax in a way that when I get back to my uh, ordinary writing for uh, Smartflow, for example, I feel the ideas coming in way easier. We still don't know how to treat people's brain, I think. We need to figure out that. <laughs> It's coming because most of the management now are baby boomers or Generation X. So they're still trying to process that. Yeah. But not all of them, but there are still some that no, you can't have two things at once. What are you doing? And then the us in between the millennials were trying to show Generation X and baby boomers. No, it's okay. See, 
I'm doing this, but I also can do this. And then yeah. you're like, oh, that's how that works. I get it now. This great resignation is a very, very big red flag for companies. And it's moving so fast that every day I see another situation that occurred due to staff shortage. For me, that's incredible. To be able to see that live, it's incredible. Yeah, it will be interesting to see where we end up by the end of this year with the staff shortages and then also globalization is breaking down. We'll have to see where we end up in this next phase. This was a great conversation, Stefana, and I'm glad we got a chance to catch up and hear more in this resilience series for the All-Stars. Could you please let the, the listeners know where they can contact you again since it's been a while? I think LinkedIn would be the best uh, platform. You can find me there by my name, Stefana Sobko. Same name on Instagram if you feel more comfortable there. Whether you want to uh, chat on LinkedIn or uh, on Instagram, you can find me there. This is Stefana Sobko, the Romanian in the Netherlands, the advocate for the expats, the millennial that is joining the two generational divides this is our first episode in season five of the all-stars and we'll see you next time